The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Okay, all right, interesting. Well, now... Sam's asked me yep. to read a section from the Bible. So if you open the little leaflets that you've been given, I'm going to read a small section from the biography of Jesus written by a man called Mark. And it's Mark chapter 10. So I'm just going to read that and then I'm going to invite Sam to come and speak to us. Here goes, Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Uh, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Indignant with James and John, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks, Sam. When we work in a team, they hand out duties. They hand out the first aid duty. They hand out the occupational work and health duty. And then they hand out the fire warden duty. This is the one nobody wants because they make you wear a silly hat. It's not like you know what to do in a fire. And no one's going to listen to you anyway. Well, that's what... A, feels like to be a leader and sooner or later whether we like it or not we end up as a leader it could be in the playground it could be in the family and it could be at work but sooner or later whether we like it or not we end up as a leader and so our question today is this what would Jesus say to the leader Welcome again to our February series of talks where we ask this question, what would Jesus say? And each week we meet person, different person. It's a question, what would Jesus say to this person? And what would Jesus say to me today? And this comes in the form of a 20-minute talk from me now, followed by some question and answer from you guys. So as I'm talking, think of any question that you want to ask me, and we'll do our best to answer that question. Well, today is week three in our series, and our question is this, what would Jesus say to the leader? Because in that story that we just heard in the Bible, two people called James and John, brothers, come to Jesus and they ask Jesus to make them leaders. James and John came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus asked, well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Two brothers, James and John. In the rest of the Bible, we read that they had the nickname Sons of Thunder. 
If they were around today, this is what they would look like because they were hard-headed, hot-headed alpha males. And they come to Jesus and they say, make us leaders. And Jesus is horrified that they would even ask. And Jesus says, no. And this is the part of the story I don't get because Hollywood tells me that these guys should be my leaders. And I want these guys as my leaders, strong, handsome, handsome. And that's the part of the story I don't get. Well, to understand where Jesus is coming from, we need to hear the three things that Jesus tells James and John and the three things that he tells us today about leadership. The first thing is this. Leadership promises position, power, and prestige. Leadership promises position, power, and prestige. We read in the story, Jesus called his followers together, and he said this to them. You know that those who are rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. See, this is what the world thinks leadership is. It's all about authority and lording power over those that we rule. I hate flies. So I say if I was Prime Minister of Australia, I would make it compulsory for every Australian to kill one fly a day. And think about it, that would mean we would get rid of 20 million flies per day. And we all catch ourselves saying this, if I was Prime Minister, I would. If I was Prime Minister, I would get the trains running on time. If I was Prime Minister, I would make every Monday a compulsory holiday. If I was Prime Minister of Australia, I would get the Australian Wallabies winning again. See, we have this idea that if I am in power, I have the power to get anything done that I want. When our sports people win, they enjoy the praise and the worship of the people. And so we imagine that if we too enjoy the people, and we will have the power to get done whatever we want. But most leadership experts agree that this is not how leadership works. John Maxwell, in his book, The Five Levels of Leadership, he looks at the five levels of leadership, ranking them from the least effective to the most effective. Right down the bottom is number one, leadership based on position. You've been appointed leader. Number two, leadership based on permission to lead. Leadership level number three, leadership based on production. We actually produce something. Number four, leadership based on people development. We develop the people that we lead. And number five, the pinnacle of leadership. Right down the bottom, the least effective way of leading is leadership based on position, where people follow you, not because they want to, but because they have to. This is the least effective form of leadership. Daniel Goleman, in a Harvard Business Review article, Leadership That Gets Results, published 2000, here they grabbed 20,000 executives, randomly selected 4,000, and they empirically studied their styles, and they broke it of leadership. Number one, the directive style, do what I tell you. Number two, the visionary style, come with me. Number three, the affiliative style of leadership, people come first. Number four, the participative style of leadership, well, what do you think? Number five, pace setting, do as I do now. And number six, coaching, hey, try this. 
and they observed that the two least effective forms of leadership were the directive, do what I tell you, and the pace setting, do as I do now, they led to a negative work climate, whereas the most productive styles of leadership were the other ones. And so there's a limited time and space for the do as I do, do as I tell you style of leadership. There might be a time and place for it, but it's a limited time and place, and long-term wise, it's the least effective. Leadership experts say this form of leadership gives you authority, but you're not really a leader. People listen to you, but they don't respect you. People obey you, but they're not inspired by you. It's what I call negative energy leadership, where we suck the energy from the room and people do the least bit necessary. Whereas what we want is positive energy leadership, where we inspire people and we bring the best out of them. So how can I be this sort of leader? How can I be a positive energy leader? Well, this brings us to the second thing that Jesus says, and it's this. To lead is to serve. To lead is to serve. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, and this is Jesus talking about himself in the third person, for even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The essence of leadership is to serve. If we work in an office, sooner or later we're going to come across the office birthday party ritual. And we all know how the office birthday party ritual works. Hey, it's your birthday, so we have to chip in for a cake. We have to chip in for a card. And now we have to write in it, and we don't know what to write because we really don't know you that well. So you end up writing something like, hum, happy birthday, yay. And then we surprise you, hey, it's your birthday. And we pull out the cake and we sing you happy birthday. But the bit I don't get is then we, poof, we disappear back to work and we leave you by yourself to cut the cake and then to serve us cake. That's a bit I don't get. It's the most important day of your year. You're the most important person in the room. And now you have to spend it serving us cake. But maybe that's what leadership is. It's because you're the most important person in the room, your role is to serve. The general who does not advance to seek glory or does not withdraw to avoid punishment but cares for only the people's security and promotes the people's interests is the nation's treasure. Sun Tzu. Simon Sinek, in his book on leadership, Leaders Eat Last, says the whole point of being a leader is to eat last. It's to serve. The whole point of leadership is to sacrifice your personal good for the gain of the team. But Simon Sinek says now we've inverted, we've perverted leadership. So now leaders sacrifice the good of the team for their own personal gain. And we have all these negative examples of leadership. Adam Newman, former CEO of WeWork. WeWork last year 
IPO'd and tanked. But not before Adam Newman got out and paid himself a gazillion dollars in bonuses. So he sacrificed the good of the team for his personal gain. Lance Armstrong, seven-time winner of the Tour de France. But now we know he sacrificed the ethical good of the team for his own personal gain. Steve Jobs, rock star, pin-up CEO of Apple. Yes, but now we know in private he was a horrible man to work with, disloyal to his family, horrible to his friends, sacrificing the good of the team for his own personal gain. But Simon Sinek says that's not what leadership is about. Leadership is about being the first one over the trench, taking on the most danger. It's being the last one off the ship, making sure everyone else gets off safely. Why? Because that's what being a leader is. We make you leader because we know you're the one who can sacrifice yourself for the good of the team. But now I want to know why I want to do this. Why would I want to sacrifice myself for the good of the team? Well, this brings us to the third thing that Jesus says, and it's this. To lead is to have a vision. To lead is to have a vision. It's not enough just to lead. It's not enough just to serve, but there has to be a vision that we're serving. Jesus says this again. For even the Son of Man, talking about himself in the third person, for even Jesus... Do not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Yes, but why, Jesus? Why? As a ransom for many. Jesus' vision was this, to save us from our sins. Now, I want you to imagine, I'm telling you, I have a friend called Thomas. And my friend Thomas is sick because last night he got no sleep. Now, for this to work, who here in this room, hands up, feels sorry for my friend Thomas, who's sick? All right. Only a handful, a small handful. Now, I get this. I get this. We're professionals. We're doctors. We're lawyers. We're private emotion people. We don't do public display of emotions. On the inside, I feel very sorry for Thomas, but I'm not going to publicly display my emotion. But, okay, let's be a public emotion culture. Just for a brief moment. My friend Thomas is sick because he got no sleep last night. Who here feels sorry for Thomas? All right. Almost everyone in the room. Now, let's say I ask, I tell you now. My friend Thomas is sick because he got no sleep last night because he was gaming all night. Who here now feels sorry for Thomas? All right. Just the gamers, but no one else. All right. Now, let's say I say my friend Thomas is sick because he got no sleep last night because he was up all night helping his wife give birth to their first child, who he now feels sorry for Thomas. Oh, why? What's the difference? Well, Thomas sacrificed a night's sleep here, gaming. Well, that's just self-serving. Serves him right. And I don't care. About it. I don't feel sorry for him. But here, Thomas sacrificed a night's sleep, serving a greater vision a greater cause, a story bigger than his own story. See, it's not enough to just sacrifice yourself. It has to be for a vision worth the sacrifice. Jim Collins, in his famous book on leadership, Good to Great, talks about his five levels of leadership, where level one, you're the highly capable individual. Level two, Hey, you're the contributing team member. Level three, 
you're the competent manager. Level four, whoa, you're the effective leader. But level five, you are the level five executive leader. Well, what does the level five leader have? What is the magic potion that the level five leader has that none of the other leaders have? It's this. It's a paradoxical blend of both humility, so serving, sacrifice, and strength. Strength of vision. There has to be a vision worth the sacrifice. Back to Daniel Goldman, Harvard Business Review, leadership that gets results. Out of the six styles of leadership, the most effective style that gave the most positive work climate was the visionary style. Come with me. There has to be a vision worth the sacrifice. Simon Sinek, in his other book on leadership, Leaders Start With Why. As a leader, it's not enough just to give the what, what to do. We have to give the why. Why are we doing what we're doing? There has to be a vision worth the sacrifice. Back to Jesus. Jesus says this, for even the Son of Man, for even Jesus, for even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Okay, Jesus, but why? Because he wanted to give his life as a ransom for many. That was his vision. That was the vision worthy of the sacrifice. He came to save us from our sins. But now that puts us in a very uncomfortable position because now we only have two choices. Choice number one, Jesus is the leader who came to save me. He died on a cross for me, but I wish he hadn't. Because I don't need saving. I'm okay. I'm not broken. I don't have sin, guilt or shame in my life. He didn't need to die for me. His death was unnecessary. Jesus was a fool uh, for doing what he did. The vision was not worth the sacrifice. That's one choice. But we have choice number two. Jesus is the leader who came to save me by dying on a cross to save me from my sins. And I'm so glad he did because I need that. That's exactly what I need. Yes, I am broken. Yes, I do have sin, guilt and shame in my life. And I'm so glad Jesus did that. And now he set me free. And now he's my leader and my savior. And if we can humble ourselves to say that, now we have Jesus as both leader and savior. And we can be humble leaders and now we also have strength of vision because the vision Jesus died for is the vision we live for. And Jesus' vision was to save us, to set us free so we can be part of Team Jesus where every day we can be part of the mission of Jesus to spread his love, mercy and justice on this planet. So our question today was this. What would Jesus say to the leader? And Jesus would say this. He would say, Leadership based on position and power alone are not very effective forms of leadership. But true leadership is to serve, but we also need a vision worthy of the sacrifice. Now, I have a friend called AJ. When we were university students together, we played rugby. And then we both became junior doctors. And we kept on playing rugby, 
But one day when AJ was playing rugby, he found himself at the bottom of a ruck with a big Tongan standing on top of him. And AJ at that moment, at the bottom of the ruck, with a Tongan standing on top of him, said he had an existential crisis. At that moment, he asked himself, why am I here? I don't need to be here. Why am I here? And because he couldn't answer that question, he never played another game of rugby for the rest of his life. We need to know why we're don't know why we're here. We don't know how to live. If we don't know why we're here, we don't know how to lead. But Jesus comes to be our leader and saviour. And he gives us that vision. And the vision he died for is the vision we live for. Well, it looks like uh, we've piqued a bit of interest here. So lots of questions. Here goes. Ready? Yep. Okay. Why do people want to become leaders? Like, for example, James and John. Oh, <laughs> wow. You've heard me say the same before. Not every leader is a narcissist, but every narcissist will find a way to become a leader. So if we want to be a leader, there's a very good chance we're a narcissist. So but there's support, also a very good chance oh, we're stop. serving a narcissist as a okay. leader. Yeah. Have you ever served a narcissist? Actually, yes, I have, quite often. Do you want to tell us about that, Sam? Well, the features of a narcissist leader, they say, is that double lethal combination of pride and insecurity. So pride, I need my achievements to be somebody, but therefore that makes me insecure because I always need more achievements to prop me up, but I'm also threatened by the successes of others. So a big feature would be you're actually threatened by the successes of your peers and those coming up, uh, whereas... Uh, a true leader is both humble and secure. Humble in their identity. They don't need their achievements to prop them up, uh, but secure enough to celebrate the successes of others in their team. Okay, but this is when you're a doctor? You want to, you want to flesh it out a bit more? Oh, yeah, definitely when you're a doctor. But also in all forms of ministry. Like, like, so I don't know how much I'm allowed to share, but this one I realise it happens in both secular and sacred spheres that the instant we put our identity in our achievements, and this can happen in ministry or in medicine, uh, that we're always going to need achievements. So I see that with the surgeons I work with. So, you know, medicine's very hierarchical. So it's not enough just to be, um, a, you know, GP. You have to be a specialist. not just to be a specialist. You have to be a surgeon. Not just enough to be a surgeon. You have to be an orthopedic surgeon. Not just enough to be an orthopedic surgeon. You have to be a knee surgeon or a hip surgeon. And even there, they're comparing themselves to each other all the time. And surgeons will whisper to me, you know, I have the most knee operations this month. And I'm going to go, oh, wow, you're amazing. You're amazing. So each month, they're still quite threatened by the numbers and the metrics. Okay. Well, that's uh, disappointing. Um, okay, next, uh, next question. Um, James and John were honest in their desires to sit next to Jesus in his glory. Should we be honest like this with our desires, whatever they are, or hide them away or something else? Uh, even if we're honest or not honest, I think every now and then we need moments of self-reflection, as in, why am I doing what I'm doing? And even the most seemingly sacrificial roles and serving roles, we could still be self-serving. Like, like, hey, I'm still doing this for personal worth, personal glory, uh, maybe I'm a people pleaser. I don't know how to say no. I want a desire to be liked and a desire to be remembered. Yeah. Okay. I know absolutely fan quest fantastic question here. Um, how 
how did Jesus' death save us, please? Yeah, this is one of those very uncomfortable things in the Bible where the big Bible's claim, the Bible's claim isn't that there is a God. The Bible's big claim is God loves us, which is quite a unique claim because you think of most major world religions, they might say there is a God or God is powerful or God is judge. Or, and in many religions, God is or the gods are mischievous. They actually don't want your best. They don't want what's best for you. But the Judeo-Christian claim is unique, that God loves you and wants, wants what's best for you. And then he tries to prove it by how God behaves, God's sacrificial acts for his people. And the biggest proof of God's love for us, and both Christians and not Christians would say the same, it's Jesus dying on a cross for us, as Jesus claimed, to give his life as a ransom. But now we have a problem because we've got to say, how is this a proof of God loving me? Because if I want to say, I love you all, and you say, you guys say, prove it. And I say, well, I'm going to die for you. You guys would all go, whoa, back off now. That's a little bit unnecessary. Actually, a little bit weird, a little bit inappropriate, and now you're creeping me out. Really, just a card, flowers, or chocolates would suffice. So when Jesus says, I will give my life, I will die for you, we too should have the same reaction. Whoa, Jesus, you had me until then. Because now you're just being weird, inappropriate, unnecessary, and now you're creeping me out. It's only a loving act if he's dying the death we should have died. So that's how Jesus saves us. But why are we dying in the first place? Well, why does anything die? Why does our car die? Why does our computer die? Why do we die? Doctors will say, in the end, we die because we have multi-system failure. And that's why car, computer, and we die, multi-system failure. And death is God's wake-up call for all of us. So right now, there is a multi-system failure. I'm not okay, my relationships aren't okay, and I'm not okay in the way I treat this planet, my friends, my relationships, and I'm not okay with God. It's a multi-systems failure. That's why I die. And Jesus says, I would die the death you should have died. I will save you from that, I will restore you, bring you back into shalom, peace with yourself, peace with your world, peace with God, and I will set you free. Hence the ransom language, it's an image of freedom. So that's how Jesus saves us. And that leaves us in this very uncomfortable position. As I said, either I don't need saving, Jesus, you don't need to die for me, or you know what? I am broken. I need Jesus to die for me. But that forces us to humble ourselves enough to say we're broken. But if we can, we will be that humble leader. I don't have to be perfect. Jesus is perfect, so I don't have to pretend to be perfect. And I can be secure and celebrate the successes of others. Thank you so much. Um, should we be motivated by the goal to sit at the right hand of God ultimately? What, uh, uh, was that the wrong motive? Well, I think it's understanding what that role actually involves. So that's what Jesus was trying to tell them. You think you want to sit at my right hand in glory because that will give you position, power, prestige. But as we're hearing from the other leadership experts like Simon Sinek, to sit at the right hand in glory actually means you have to die for your people. And that's what Jesus is saying. Are you sure you want to do this? I don't think you know what you're asking for because the essence of leadership is service and sacrifice. You're actually not asking for power and prestige, which you think you are. You're asking for the position where you will have to sacrifice yourself for your people. Okay. Because um, that is the cup I'm drinking. That's what Jesus said. Okay, we've got a slightly more pointed question here. Sure. Um, is it wrong for Christians to, to want to be a leader, for example, the, the uh, managing partner of a law firm? Yep. 
No, like leadership will be thrust upon us anyway, but and leadership depends on a lot of things, giftings, aptitude, appropriateness, circumstances, uh, life stages. And Don Maxwell in his other book on leadership, 360 Leadership, says we find ourselves in leadership all the time anyway, whether we like it or not. We have to lead 360 direction. We lead the people we lead, we lead our peers, and we actually lead our leaders. So it's understand what leadership is all about. Leadership is actually wanting your people to become the best they can be. So that's a great vision to have. That's a great thing to want. And that's why God puts us in leadership, so we can promote the good for the people. And that's what um, Jim Collins in his book on leadership talks about, how level five executives, he looks at the 100 great companies who aren't just good, but great. And he says, now I want you to name the CEOs of these companies. And suddenly you think, I can't. And Jim Collins' point is exactly, they're anonymous. They're self-effacing wizards behind the curtain, promoting not their own personal glory, but the good of the team. And so as leaders, it's a good aspiration to have to want the good of the team. Okay. Oh, this is a, a question yeah. that follows on nicely. Um, do Christian leaders today lead any differently to the modern worldly leaders, uh, for example, following ancient and modern texts on leadership? Yeah. I think John Dixon in his book Humilitas brings this out, that in Greco-Roman times, uh, the time of the New Testament, that people thought they wanted the sons of thunder, the alpha male, as their leaders. And leadership experts today would agree that is the leader you don't want. They're destructive. They'll burn themselves out, burn you out. They're for a limited time only. They're good for times of crisis and danger. Like if there's a fire right now, okay, that's the leader we want to get us out of here. Uh, but that's not the leader we want long term. And interestingly, these sort of leaders, they become leaders by creating crisis. So then they think, okay, we're, you're, you're the guy we need. They, so they give us a feeling of imminent threat and danger. Um, but Christian leaders, so the Christian form of leadership, which we just read about, of humility, that was very revolutionary for its time. And the verse, Philippians chapter 2, that says, you should be like Jesus, who though he had this position of power, humbled himself to be a servant, a slave. We should be like that. So according to scholars at the time, they said that was quite a revolutionary idea for the first century. Okay, uh, two, two quick technical questions. Uh, what does son of man, that term, actually mm. mean? Why is it used? And secondly, uh, is ruler, does rule, oh, sorry, rulers of the Gentiles, is that equal Romans? Right, okay. So the son of man, wow, you could spill so much ink on this topic. But Jesus, I think, used it. One, because for those in the know, he, you would know he was referring to a prophecy in the book of Daniel where... The Son of Man will one day rule God's kingdom. But at the same time, I think Jesus deliberately used it uh, so he could sneak away, sneak around uh, without creating, sneak under the radar because most people wouldn't have known what that term meant. So I think that it was, a, a, it was for those in the know would know what he meant. But for others, he could slip under the radar. And what was the second? Um, it, rulers of the Gentiles, is that equal Romans? Oh, uh, yeah, but Gentiles is just a broad term. So I think Jesus is saying, you're, you're picking up the vibes of the world. This is not how the people of God, my kingdom, my family, my tribe, understand leadership. You're just picking this up from the rest of the world. Because uh, Gentiles okay. was the Jewish word, Hebrew word for the nations, plural. Not just one nation, but okay. the variety of nations. All right. Thanks. Uh, last, last two questions. Um, uh, in your example, AJ, uh, AJ, be that if we don't ask the why question, we can end up going through life without a care 
without reflection, without a purpose. Yeah, I think AJ's problem was he was a back, and backs don't like being stuck on a ruck. He was a 5'8". I think that was his problem. But also... Um, so he wasn't used to being stood on by a tall Tongan. That's right. Whereas I'm so used to that. I'm like a pig in mud when I have a Tongan standing on top of me. I love it. I, I, I look for it. It means I'm in the right place. Yeah, okay. You're glorious. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what was the second half of the question? <laughs> um, if we don't ask the why question, we can end up going through life without a care, without reflection, without purpose. Yeah, it would be great to go through without the why. Just live in the moment. Uh, you only live once. But in the end, it's empty and unfulfilling. I think that's what we find. A self-absorbed life ends up being ultimately empty and unfulfilling. And what everyone's realising is I need a story. And I need a story bigger than just my own story. I need purpose. I need direction. It's like, you know when you buy a brand new car, it's great, and you drive around it, and after I think, okay, where am I going? I can't just drive this car around, around the block. I actually have to be going somewhere, and relationships are the same. There's that moment in any relationship where people will say, where are we going with this? Okay, and all of life needs a direction, a meaning, a purpose, us connecting with a story bigger than just our own story. Okay, a final question links to that earlier, really great question about how Jesus saves us. Yep. The question uh, is, in, in what sense is Jesus' death a ransom, a ransom for many? And perhaps you could say, what, what is the next step we should take if, we, if we've come to realise that Jesus' death is for us? Yeah, we, we admit we need help. What, what would we do next? Yeah, so how is it a ransom for many? It really is, he is dying the death, I should have died. So he's swapping positions with me. And so how can I enjoy this payment, ransom? How can I enjoy this freedom, ransom language again? Somehow I just have to trust, put my trust in Jesus. I don't know exactly how this works, but I'm just going to take you at your word. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be loyal to you. So you're asking me to be part of your team, your tribe. I don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be loyal. As of today, I'm of Team Jesus. And you are my leader, my saviour, using the leadership language. Uh, using bigger language, I will worship you. I will actually enjoy you. I will praise you. But being loyal to Jesus, and now you are my leader, my saviour. Your story is a story, my biggest story that I live for. Thank you. Please uh, thank Sam for his, his Thank efforts. you. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.